Probably 12 years ago now, uh, I, God started working on me internally in a very, very specific, painful and confrontational way. Um, I have been in a habit for many, many years now of just reading the Bible with people cover to cover. It usually takes eight months to get from front to back. Uh, really potent. And so I was with a friend, Chris, and we've been reading through and it, like we're toward the end, so we're in 2 Corinthians. And I was reading 2 Corinthians and this, uh, this verse hit me in a different way than it ever had before. The verse is up here on the screen. It says, uh, God is talking to Paul. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power would rest on me. And I don't know what it was up to this point. I kind of read this verse and conflated it with a Philippians verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I was like, okay, great. That's an encouraging verse. Just keep pressing on. God will give me the strength that I need. Um, but as I was reading it this time, and, and I, this verse kind of just jumped off the page at me as I was reading. Uh, and as I sat reflect on, I felt God say to me, when you hide your weakness, you hide my power. When you hide your weakness, you rob me of glory. When you hide your weakness, you rob God of glory. And I remember sitting there in this moment, like feeling really convicted as I went and I met with Chris and I'm sharing this. I'm like God is really calling me on something. And it brought to mind just shortly before that, there was a young man called Andrew that I'd been mentoring. Uh, we'd been reading through the Bible together. And I remember one day sitting in a coffee shop uh, on the west coast of Scotland talking with him and he, he had this moment where he just looked downcast and deflated and I was like something's up with you today what's wrong and he's like I just don't know that I can do this I was like do what he's like this whole Jesus thing he's like I can't be a super Christian the way you are he's like I struggle I don't want to read my bible I don't like praying I find church boring and you love it all and I had this moment of like, but I, but I struggle. I don't always want to read my Bible. I don't always go up and pray. I, I don't always like church. Like, and he's like, why have you never told me any of this stuff? I was too busy trying to portray love for the word and desire for prayer and passion for the church that I didn't think about the fact I was hiding the very parts of my life that made him able to connect and feel the hope that things could be different. You fast forward another few years, I was living in central England, um, and God decided to bring this back up and was working on me in a completely different way. I was working with the navigators, um, and uh, in this process, we're thinking about this, you know, you hide your weakness, you, you rob me of glory, and God was saying, you know, you care a heck of a lot about how people perceive you. You're curating your image to look a particular way. You want people to love you and celebrate you and think you're awesome. And you're curating your, your image a particular way. You care about your appearance. And I was like, well, I understand I care about my reputation. But I'm not vain. Like, I don't care about my appearance. And no joke, like, because, you know, God talks to us. We lived 300 yards from the grocery store. And God was like, you don't care about your parents? Okay, go up out of bed this morning, wear what you're wearing, don't fix your hair, and go get milk. And I was like, well, that's dumb. So I get up out of bed, and I was like, oh, my hair looks stupid. I should probably fix it. And 
And uh, I can't go over in sweatpants. What's the guy going to think? So I'm getting my jeans on and I'm like, yeah, this t-shirt smells. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just shower first. I'll just shower. It'll only take me five minutes. Then I'll run to the store, right? 300 yards of walking to a person that, that works in this grocery store. And inside I was like, I can't do it. And so God started this thing with me where I developed a spiritual discipline. You've probably read about this one in scripture, the spiritual discipline of not putting gel in your hair. Right? You know that one? God really convicted me of this. And, and I, I'm, I'm mocking myself, but this was a serious moment. So you can laugh at me, but this was like a serious convicted moment. God said, can you even go out the house without fixing your hair before you go? I, and I'd like, oh, I'm going to go out with a friend for coffee. And I'd like... Like my hair's all fluffy and I'm looking at the mirror on the way out the door and I'm like, ah, gelling your hair is not vanity, right? I'm trying to be presentable to the other person. I don't want it to be ashamed of me. But in that process, like if I go back to this day where I'm walking across the grocery store, it's like, okay, I'm, I, I look ridiculous. I don't have my hair on. I walk over to the grocery store and the whole way over, I'm like, oh God, they're going to comment on how stupid I look this morning. I walk over, I get my milk, I go up to the counter, I have a conversation as normal, I get home and no one cared, right? No one cared that my hair wasn't gelled, no one cared that I wasn't dressed in the way I want to dress. The most fun part in this process was then I'm in this spiritual discipline of deliberately not gelling my hair. Why? To expose the stuff inside of me that was concerned about appearance. So I'd have an event on, I wouldn't gel my hair, I'd go out the door and I would feel myself as I'm walking down the road, what are people going to think? My hair looks stupid. I'd find myself looking in a mirror at my hair, does my hair look all right? I almost this morning came in my sweatpants and a messy t-shirt without my hair gel, but I was really scared that it might be more distracting than helpful. Um, but, uh, but yeah, God was really challenging me. So there's this one day we had, with the organization we were with, we had like this big retreat and all of the staff from over the country were there um, doing leadership development and, and getting the vision for the year. And so we go to this event and it's right as God is convicting me of this thing. He's like, can you go the whole weekend without gelling your hair? And see how stupid this sounds when I say it out loud, right? This is a big battle inside. So I'm here this event. I feel like I look ridiculous. No one seems to care. And then of course, this one morning, like I wake up and God's like, this is the day. Don't gel your hair. Like don't dress up. Just go normal. And so I walk out the door. We go to the first session. In the middle of the first session, they're like, okay, quickly, everyone run outside. We're going to take the promo photo for the year. And so if you can all, we'll all line up and, and, and they're getting us lined up. And I'm looking at Monica going, do I have enough time to go back to my room, gel my hair, change my clothes and get back for the picture? And God's like, no. Like you're too concerned about your appearance. Like I didn't realize it was a big issue. I was more concerned and I'm more concerned uh, with my appearance than you would think. We're in a series where we're looking at vices. These historic issues in, the, in our lives that get in the way of our ability to follow Jesus. We're looking at this definition, what's a vice? It's a character trait that inclines us toward a certain kind of action and, and, and particularly towards negative actions. So these are the deep root issues that exist in our life that cause us to walk in a whole a host of areas of brokenness. This morning, we're going to take time to examine the vice that is historically known as vainglory. And here's the definition. The excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval for others. So you know this vice is at work when you're concerned about the people uh, around you and what they think of you and how you appear to them. 
Culturally, like th- this has been uh, stories told about it, movies written about it constantly throughout history. Um, in, in Greek mythology, there's a character that you may have heard of, Narcissist, from whom we get the word narcissistic. Do, you, does, do people know the story of Narcissus? Narcissus was the son of a god and a nymph, and he was this entirely stunning person, known for his beauty. Um, he would have all these people fall in love with him and pursue a relationship with him, and no one was ever good enough or attractive enough. And so he would always reject the advances of the people that came to him. One day, as he was out in the woods doing his thing, he stumbles across a pool, and when he stops and he looks in the pool, he sees his reflection. And lo and behold, for the first time, sees the most beautiful person that he's ever seen and ends up sitting by the side of this pool, unable to leave, captivated by the reflection that's looking back at him, reaching into the water, trying to hug this person. And every time he would try and grab hold of the reflection, that the reflection would disappear. So much so that eventually it dwindles away, uh, walks uh, dies there at the side of the pool. And in some versions of the story, uh, a person called Echo, who was a a love of his that he'd rejected, someone that pursued him or rejected him, out of grace and kindness and pity for him, turned him into a flower instead of letting him die there by the pool. And that's why we've got the flower called the narcissist. Um, All around that, the, the word narcissistic, it's a word that's thrown around in our media. It feels like right now more than any other time in history because we're a that is captivated by vainglory. If you come to a more frequent time in our culture, um, perhaps the greatest portrayal of this most recently is the show The Greatest Showman. Who's seen the movie The Greatest Showman? Um, If you haven't, this is a great movie and really worth seeing. It tells the story of P.T. Barnum, who uh, was a circus manager here in the U.S. and very, very successful. But it tells the story of this man that loved to be in the spotlight. He loved to be celebrated. He loved the wealth so much so that he, in, in order to pursue the wealth that he wanted, he left his family behind, traveled the world, questionable whether he ended up having an affair or not. Um, uh, and his life came crumbling down around him all because he was pursuing fame. You'll know, you've probably heard the song, that's, loads of songs famous from this show, but, but the, the one that is the big anthem in the middle, Never Enough. You've probably heard this song. This is the words uh, this, this lady sings. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world but it'll never be enough, never be enough. Vainglory at work in our lives, chasing the things of the world, but what we chase and what we long for is never enough. All of us have an element of this in us. So here's some of the ways that you might see vainglory in you. Uh, And side note, advertising agencies know all about vainglory. And they use it to their advantage to draw us into the things that we want. When, when we're caught up in vain glory, we're obsessed with the latest fashion trends. We're doing and learning all the TikTok dances. We're following the YouTube channels, hoping that we can have a YouTube channel with millions of subscribers. It's about projecting a particular uh, professional self. You're walking in vain glory if you have two Facebook accounts, one that has your personal pictures and one that you give to professionals. 
channels. Uh, Vainglory is what causes us to curate the pictures that we put on Facebook and Instagram and to edit out the backgrounds. And when you're in a coffee shop, instead of just taking a picture of the coffee cup on the table, we move all the things out the way and we turn the table and we get the light just right so we can take the perfect picture to post for the world to see. It's seen in selfie culture, in Pinterest boards, in in the profile pictures that we choose. On the other side of it, it's seen in exaggeration. Hands up in here if you've never exaggerated something that's happened in your life. The size of the fish that you caught, the amount of money in your bank account. Um, Exaggeration is us curating our image and bending the truth to portray what we want to portray. Culturally, There are whole industries built around vainglory and vanity, plastic surgery, the makeup industry, the fashion industry, the tech industry, the luxury car industry, the home improvements industry. So many elements of culture, so much money goes on on curating vainglory and fueling it in us. We see it when we want the boat, when we want the nicest car, when we want our house the right way, when we want the, we talk about curb appeal. What's curb appeal? It's making the outside of your house look nice so that someone will buy it because they want to be the people that have the nice house. Um, It's about desiring the greenest lawn. It's the flattering cut of our new dress or suit. It's how clean our kitchen is, how successful our diet is, how big our muscles are, how thin our stomach is, having the newest iPhone, finding the best savings, dyeing our hair, uh, the titles that we carry, the trends that we buy into, the novelties that we get caught up in all of those things are elements of vainglory that trick us and pull us away um, from loving the Lord. So just think for a moment, how much effort do you put into curating your image? How often are you bold in sharing your weakness? When you get together with your friends, how vulnerable are you about your fears and your struggles and your doubts and your concerns? How much work do you put into managing your image? How much work goes in or time goes into picking your outfit in the morning, doing your hair, doing your makeup? Uh, How many times in a conversation do you share a story to one-up someone else, share a story to sound better than you are, or drop the name of someone important because you want to be seen as being around the right people or uh, sometimes the wrong people? I was thinking about this. I'm talking to a bunch of church goers. I was thinking about some friends of mine back at home who want nothing to do with the church. Um, what does vainglory look like in some of the people that I'm around in the world? I, I was thinking about a really dear friend of mine when I was writing this list. Boasting in the number of kids he has to the, a different number of women. His status in the community that he's part of. Body count is the the word today, the number of people that you've slept with becomes an avenue of boasting for people in the world. Um, One of my friends back at home uh, boasts that he's been in jail longer than all of the others, has been convicted of more crimes than all of the others, and has gotten away with more crimes than all of the others. I've heard people boasting about how much they've stolen, how much money they've kept, how much damage they did to someone's face. All of it boasting to try and hold an appearance because they're caught up in the vice of vainglory. So there's things that the world do in extremes and then you bring it into the church. We are terrible in the church at vainglory. The more holy you are, 
And the more holy you want to be, the greater the temptation to curate your image and pretend to the people around you that you look just like Jesus. It's about praying in the prayer room for enough hours. It's about attending the right conferences. It's about reading the right theology textbooks or being in the right conversations. It's about how generous you were, how sacrificial you were in the ways that you serve, getting to go to dinner at the pastor's house, um, (laughs) name dropping some other pastor in town that you know, all of these things that we do that buy into this vice of vainglory. And the sad thing is, so often in the church, we accept it and we celebrate it. We've got to stop and self-examine. Jesus addressed the desire for recognition and how it affects our motives. And he's talking to some religious people and exposing the way vain glory is at work inside of us. So this is Matthew chapter 6. Let's pay attention to what he says. He says to the people around him, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. So these are people that are going out there and doing certain religious behaviors because they want people to see them and be like, oh, they're so holy. If you do, you will get no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. What would happen? It's alms day and they're going to go give generously to the poor. So the priests would take money from the temple treasury and then they'd have a big celebration. The worship bands, the trumpets, the dancers, and they'd go around the street giving things to the poor, drawing attention to themselves. And could you imagine we did that today? The lack of dignity to the people that were serving by bringing the attention to us. He says, truly I tell you, they've received the reward in full. If they wanted to be celebrated by people, they got celebrated by people. The reward is already received. But when you give, give, uh, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How easy it is to turn up to church to be seen rather than to worship. How easy it is to put your name on the sign-up sheet for 24-7 prayer so that people see you are holy and went to the prayer room and not because your desire was for him. How easy it is to give in order to be acknowledged, to serve so that people celebrate you, to long to stand on a stage where people look at you and admire you, the ways we fight to be in the center, the ways in the church we envy other people's gifts because they seem to be celebrated more and my gift operates in the background. All of these are elements of vainglory. Paul understood the danger of vainglory. And we see it in this passage. I come back to this passage so many times. At some point, we should count the number of times I put this in a sermon. Um, It's so pivotal. This is him writing to the Philippian church. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vainglory. Rather, in your humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset that Jesus had. 
And the word in yellow here, vain glory, is this word kenodoxis. It's the word for empty. Keno or kenosis is to empty. And then this word for glory. So vain glory is glory that's empty. And this is it. We in the world long to be seen and acknowledged and celebrated for the things that we do and for who we are. And so often we end up chasing a glory that is empty. The passage goes on, have the same set mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? Being in the very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made a human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. There's a word play in this passage because you've got that word kenodoxis, so empty glory. So don't be people out there that are pursuing empty glory, kenodoxis. Instead, be like Jesus who made himself nothing. And the word here is kenosis. He emptied himself. So we're chasing empty glory while Jesus is emptying himself of the glory that he rightly deserves in order to be humble to be a servant in order to reach us for the sake of the gospel. and Because he understands the value that he has. It says he doesn't consider the equality with God that he has something that he's going to use to his own advantage. Jesus could have come and chosen to be born a ruler. He could have been born the most attractive person on the planet. Isaiah tells us that he was nothing to look at. That he was despised because of his appearance. He he chose nothingness, but he knew his value. And so because he was secure that he was loved by the Father, he was secure that he'd be put on the earth for a purpose. He was secure that value was not dependent on the things of the world, but who he was and how he'd been made and how his Father viewed him. He was able to walk in the world and not pursue the vainglory. He didn't pursue the the relationship and the, the, the esteem of the religious elite. He was able to challenge them and confront them because their opinion didn't matter. He didn't curry to the Roman powers. He didn't need to climb a ladder because he was secure in who he was. And so there was no ladder climbing for Jesus. The way of Jesus is not a pathway of ascent. It's a pathway of descent where he made himself lower for the sake of the people that he was trying to reach. Jesus didn't go chasing money and a big house and and, and the right kind of relationships instead. he, He was born into poverty He lived as an itinerant with no home, dependent on the hospitality of others. And he associated with the kinds of people that made people talk about him. He's hanging out, having dinner with a prostitute. What does that mean about who this person is? He's having dinner with the people who... uh, hold uh, affinity to the religion, the, the, sorry, the political party that is against the Jewish nation. What's he doing over there? He's hanging out with the lepers and the people that have been ostracized that are not allowed to be in the temple precinct. And he's loving them and touching them and eating with them and laughing with them and celebrating with them. He's able to do all of that stuff to give of himself fully because he knew who he was. So much of the time, we buy into vainglory and we, we struggle with materialism and vanity and ladder climbing and titles and name dropping and possession holding because we're so insecure about who we are. We don't understand who he's made us to be. 
that we try and find those things in the created world round about us rather than standing confidently in the love that he has already bestowed on us. You do realize that you are God's beloved, right? It's like, I get it here. Scripture tells you that you are a royal priest. So we can look at King Charles and say, He's going to die soon, and we want to see will in place, right? We can be, I wish I'd been born into that priestly, that, that kingly line, that royal line. You have been birthed into a royal lineage. You're a descendant of the king of kings, and scripture tells us that one day you're going to be seated on the throne with him, judging the world. You're not just royalty, you're a priest, which means you're the holiest of the holy and have the fullest access into the presence of Jesus. And yet we allow the world and the lies to tell us, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy of Jesus, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. And if I don't have the nicest car or the newest phone or the best clothes or the hottest relationship, that I'm nothing. Her identity should be wrapped in him and it frees us from the vice of vainglory. One of the biggest ways that we see vainglory pour out through our mouths is through the boasting process. So Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, they're a church that is steeped in vainglory. They want to look spiritually superior. They're celebrating the gifts that, that have the biggest audience um, and, and they're boasting about their spirituality and their achievements and their future. And Paul, as he's confronting them on this, he, he quotes a line from this, this passage in Jeremiah. He says, um, let he who boasts, boast in this. This is the words of Jeremiah that Paul uses to confront the vainglory of the Corinthian church. This is what God says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I'm the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. Let not the wise boast in their intelligence. Let not the rich boast in their wealth. Let not the beautiful boast in their beauty. Let not the house proud boast in the niceness of their house, but instead boast in this, that we know him, the one who sacrificed everything for us, the one who says he chooses the foolish and the low and the weak and the despised of the earth in order to to, uh, shame those who are strong and wealthy and rich and boastful. And the question that this raises, if you're gonna boast in him rather than the things of the world, Are you ready and willing to endure the persecution that comes with that? The rejection from people as you boast in him rather than the things that the world values. Are you willing to lose your job over boasting in your relationship with him rather than the things that the world values? Are you willing to speak up for the truth rather than worrying what the person next to you thinks? We're all guilty of vainglory, but how do we rid ourselves of this? What do we do to get rid of this problem? I'm going to give five practices to challenge vainglory in you. And, and with spiritual disciplines, as we engage them, you engage a spiritual discipline. The goal of the discipline is to expose stuff inside. 
So you engage in these disciplines, you pay attention to what's going on inside me that is uncomfortable with what I'm doing, that is showing me that there's vain glory in me. So pay attention to the inner battle, even as I list some of these things, uh, how you feel about them. So the first one, identify and remove the masks that we wear. So questions, what is the image that you are curating? Who do you want the people around you to think that you are? And what do you hide in order to make that happen? What do you pursue in order to get their acclaim? Another way to put it, what elements of your life are you spinning to sound the way that you want them to be? We have whole industries of spin doctors who are paid to spin someone's image to to reach the audience that they want. Uh, Like we have political leaders who have script writers who write their speeches for them so that they can sound good enough for the people that they're going to stand in front of. We're constantly spinning. What are the stories that you're sharing? Pay attention when you're with a group of friends and you start sharing some of what's going on during the week. Why are you sharing the story that you're sharing? Oh, I was over helping this poor sick person this week. Look at me. I'm such a noble servant. I just graduated this week and I got the best score that you could ever possibly get in all of creation history. Oh, it was all Jesus. Uh, On the other side, what are the criticisms that you're levying? Because part of boasting is actually hidden in the way that we criticize other people. Did you see what they were wearing? Means my sense of dress taste is better than theirs. Have you been on people of Walmart? Says that my standard is much higher than theirs. Oh, did you see the car that they were driving? Did you see that guy? He didn't have gel in his hair. (laughs) (laughs) We got to identify the masks that we're wearing before we can begin to remove them. So what are the masks that you put on to hide who you really are from the world? As you start to identify them, It's going to reveal some of the lies and the holes that are in your life. Number two, confess them to a friend. It's a lot easier to identify the brokenness that you carry and keep it between you and Jesus, right? Because he he doesn't judge us. He loves us unconditionally. It's a lot harder to bring it to someone next to us and share what's going on in our life. A mentor of mine, Steve Porter, he, he would always say, there should be at least one friend in your life who knows everything there is to know about you and it's up to date. Do you have someone in your life that knows everything that there is to know about you and you've kept up to date? Because part of vainglory and part of curating our image is that I'll tell Daniel one thing and I'll tell Christian another thing and I'll tell Reuben another thing and Angie another thing and Jessica another thing. So everyone knows a little bit of my badness but no one has the whole picture So they can't know truly how evil my heart is. It's easy to apportion out confession. I think historically in the church, like the Reformation was a fantastic part of church history as they purified so much brokenness that existed in the church. But one of the things that happened was they said, you know, it's not right to believe that the priest stands between you and Jesus. And so all these things that the priest does that mediate between you and Jesus need to go. And with that, they threw out confession. You don't need to go to a priest to confess because you can go straight to Jesus. 100% true. Go to him first. 
But what they did was they took out of the church the discipline of going to someone and confessing our brokenness and having them say, it's okay. The Bible says that you're forgiven and there are some things you can do to rectify the wrong that you've done. We've, we've lost that discipline in the church. But Paul tells us, confess to one another. Tells us to conf- call the elders and confess to the elders and get prayer for healing because sometimes our sin stands in the way of our health. We, we get rid of confession. So, so as you identify the masks, confess them to the people around you. Number three, practice silence. Choose not to speak. Someone comes and accuses you of something, try not justifying yourself and see what happens inside. For me, I'm like, they need to understand why I did what I did and that my intentions were good because if they don't, they're going to think I'm a horrible person. I'm justifying myself to curate my image. Try when you're in a conversation and someone says something not factually correct, try not correcting it. Not being the one in the room who, has, who is the fount of all knowledge. Try just letting the misinformation sit and see what happens inside of you as you sit with this untruth in front of you. Now, if it's biblical untruth, please correct it. <laughs> Unless it's someone not in the church, in which case be a little gentler and take time to point them to the truth. Um, when a story, when, when you're in a conversation and people are talking and all of a sudden you remember a story that you can share that makes you look really good, choose not to share it. If you really want to push yourself, when you notice that you're about to share something that's going to elevate yourself, do the exact opposite and choose a story that makes you look stupid and share it with the people around you. Confess your brokenness. Refuse to exaggerate. Try that one. It's not... Yeah, I don't need to explain. We, we know how that goes. Monica catches me out on that many a time. Number four, practice solitude. Who are you and what do you do when there's no audience? What do you do when you're at home at night and there's no one there to celebrate who you are? Think about who is the audience that you seek celebration from? Because the people that I want to celebrate me are not necessarily the same people that celebrate you. For you, it may be the classic car club. For you, it may be the fisherman club. For you, it may be the quilt making club. For you, it may be the songwriting club. For you, it may be the intellectual geek out in Hebrew club. (laughs) Who's the audience that you're currying attention from? Lastly, going back to Matthew chapter 6. Act in secret. So much of what we do in our spirituality, we, un- we subconsciously do to curry attention and favor and celebration from the people around about us. So go serve someone, but don't tell a single soul and make a commitment to never, ever share the story ever. Go give generously, but do it anonymously and commit to never let someone know that you were the person that did it. Go to the grocery store tomorrow. Go to work tomorrow. Don't fix your hair. Don't stick on a hat. And don't tell anyone why you're doing it. And pay attention to what God is doing inside because when we do things in secret, when you come in and you hide in a room 
and you pray through the night for the city round about us, no one's celebrating you. No one knows what you do in that room when you're on your own. No one hears the cry of your heart, but what you do in secret, the Father hears, and it challenges the brokenness inside of us. So here's how I want us to end today. All of these messages, right, every one of them is a call to repentance. It's a call to walk away from the brokenness that we're stuck in, to embrace the grace, the forgiveness, the identity that he gives to us. And I said, part of this is identify the brokenness. And step two was confess it to someone. So what I want you to do is just grab someone sitting next to you. Just pair up. And I want you to be bold and to be vulnerable. And just share something from what you've heard today that's convicted you. Some area of your life that's been stirred up where you realize you're creating something. You're caught up in vainglory. And then I want you to take just a couple of minutes and pray for each other. Like, it's great to use the words, you know, Jesus forgives you. Sometimes we need to hear that. And then just pray that in place of those things that we're doing, that we would come to know that he knows us and that he loves us and that he's imparted infinite value to us so we no longer need these things uh, to to fuel our life. And then we'll worship. So take a minute, turn to someone next to you, share something that's convicted you, pray for each other, and then the band's going to come up and we're going to worship together. Tell me about it.